we've been following Daniel in the book of Daniel uh, through the last 70 years of his life, 70 some odd years, and we're going to wrap it up today and start a new series in John uh, next week. But what an amazing life this, this man has had. We met him when he was 15 years old, and now he's well into his 80s. And, and you remember from last week, an angel appeared to Daniel, and he had given Daniel a prophecy about the future. And at some point, that prophecy telescopes, in a sense, right past Daniel's future, right past our time, and into a future that we have not, uh, that has not occurred yet. Back in Daniel 11, the prophecy introduced us to this evil king named Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who becomes the prototype of the eventual Antichrist. And when we think of the end times, uh, we need to remember that there is a final Antichrist, but along the way, there are many what I like to call small a, Lowercase a, Antichrist. So it's not the Antichrist, but it's many who have come along the way uh, to be a type of Antichrist. And in 1 John, he says that many Antichrists have come. Uh, even when Jesus was on this earth, there were some. So we realize that anyone who comes up against the people of God, comes up against our Lord and Savior, comes up against Christ, could be called the Antichrist. Now, I don't recommend calling someone at work the Antichrist. I mean, in your heart you can, but then turn around and pray for them. You know, but anybody comes up against Christ and, and those things, little a Antichrist. And in the future, there's going to be a big Antichrist to come. Now, as we read in chapter 11, um, we read it like history, but to Daniel, it was a prophecy. And somewhere he switches gears, and we believe he's talking about our future. So let's back up just a few verses in chapter 11, and we'll race through chapter 12 uh, when we get there, um, hopefully. Um, so uh, 11, um, verse 36, it says, The king will do as he pleases. He would exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. It's possible we're talking about the future Antichrist at this point. We don't really know, but we think. He goes on in verse seven, uh, 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his father or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above all. So if you study this fervor, uh, further, you will see that he might be a Jew who does not believe in God or in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you go along and do a little bit more studying. Verse 38, it says, instead of them, he will honor the God of fortress, uh, fortresses, in other words, war, the God of war. A God unknown to his fathers, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortress with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Verse 40, at the time, at the time of, the, uh, of the end of the king of the south will engage him in battle. He will invade many countries and sweep them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall. Verse 43, he will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt. 
and the Libyans and the Nubians in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will uh, set out in great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas of the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. At that time, Michael, the great prince will, who protests your people, or protects uh, your people, will arise. And this is the archangel Michael. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book. And I want to stop right there. Daniel says here that the archangel Michael will stand. In a sense, this shows us that he's been kind of sitting. And any time in scriptures when a, when a person stands up, that means they're getting, uh, you know, getting ready to act. So he's ready to get up and, and you know, he stands up to deliver God's people from trouble. And the key to being delivered from trouble is to be identified as one of God's peoples. How do you know that you're one of God's people? Your name is written in the book. Now, Daniel, of course, was Jewish. And there was a thinking among the Jews that basically every Jew had their name written in the book. Just being born into a tribe of the, one, of the, you know, one of the tribes in the Jewish nation, you were guaranteed. But the angel says something a little different. He says, your people, and if you look at it, it is defined as anyone or everyone whose name is found written in the book. It is not saying the Jews will be delivered or everyone who is like you will be delivered, but whoever's name is written in the book. Now, this book is not a new thought for, for the Jews uh, whatsoever. They, they, you know, had a lot of, you know, throughout scriptures, it's, it's talked about in, in different places, and it's hit on in different places. Even Moses came down from the mountain. As Moses came down in Exodus chapter 32, what does Moses see when he arrives off the mountain? They're worshiping another god. And he is not happy. You know, they're not waiting patiently. They're dancing around this golden calf. And, and he cries out to God. And he basically asks for forgiveness because he knows what God would do if, if somebody didn't ask. And he says, and if you won't forgive, blot me out of the book in their place. Moses loved the people he was leading so much. He said, blot me out, not them. Whoever has sinned against me, those are the ones that I will blot out of my book. That's what God responded. Now, considering 99% of the people were involved were Jewish, then you should realize that just because you were Jewish doesn't mean your name is written in the book. Or if it was written in the book, if you're not a follower of God, he erases it out of that. Something to that effect. Then you have in Psalm 69, David picks right up on the scene and talks about the book of the living where the righteous are written. Later on, the prophet Malachi calls it the book of remembrance. But here in Psalm 69, 16, those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. I love that. 
The Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. And the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. I tell you, people, there's this thought out there in this world that it doesn't matter, that there's many ways to go to God, many paths to God. But that is not what his word says. That is not what he has written down. He said, narrow is the path to righteousness. 400 years later, when Jesus comes, nothing more has been revealed. No prophets. God was not talking to the nation at that point. Other than, the, you know, what's already been written to them. And Jesus comes and picks up this theme in Luke 10. After this, the Lord uh, uh, appointed 72 others and sent them, uh, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He gives them power and he tells them what to do as you go to these uh, towns. And, and you go down to verse 17, it said the 72 uh, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. These guys get back and they're, they're, you know, they're out there healing people and, and, and divining loaves and fishes and all the stuff that, you know, that Jesus gave them power to do. And what do they talk about? The demons. He replied in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like, this is not a big deal, guys. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, compared to anything else to be excited about in this world, this would be a reason to throw a party, right? Let me get a response there, right? Okay. I mean, Hallmark has, hasn't even thought about this one yet. They could make tons of money, you know? They could sell lots of cards, you know? We're having a party, and the ones who come are, are the ones who are not going to hell. It's a not-going-to-hell party, right? I mean, that is an awesome thing. That is something to celebrate. Turning 50, who cares? Let's throw a party about not going to hell. Jesus says, if you want to celebrate something, then celebrate that your name is written in the book. And before we move off at this verse, I want you to understand something. I don't want you to doubt where you stand with God. If you are a follower of God, if you serve him, if you have a relationship with him, then stop worrying about your salvation. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, talking about all his partners in ministry. Uh, their names were written down in the book of life, he said. And Paul is just so excited because he has partners all over, uh, the, all over the, the lands that he had traveled to on his missionary journeys. And the Romans kept trying to find ways to kill him. And he basically said, I don't care. They can kill me all they want because my name is written in the book. And others who have worked with me, their names are too. 
The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 12, where he refers to his readers. It is like he's saying that, that you know, any of you have actually read Hebrews, and, 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 you know, you get all the way to chapter 12. So, you know, I don't think a non-believer is going to read Hebrews all the way to chapter 12. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just don't see that happening because they're going to be so confused about it anyway. But a non-believer, you know, uh, but he gets to chapter 12, and he says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You know, this is like you're getting married or having a baby. What do you do? You go out and you register, right? And then you arrive at the party and, and it's exciting and the people have gifts for you because they're excited for you. Uh, hopefully that's the reason why they bought the gift, not out of, you know, well, I have to go do this, you know. Hopefully you're excited about it, you know. And this is like, you know, this is like us. We are registered in heaven and God says our gifts are waiting for us when we get there. That's exciting. Because we're engaged to the bride, Christ. I mean, then in Revelations, and I haven't even gotten into the concordance yet for those that know what that is. You know, In Revelation, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 13, and this powerful, scary beast arises, and he says... The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worship the dragon because he has given authority to the beast. And he also wor- they also worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of this earth will worship the beast all whose names had not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain for the creation of the world. Having your name in that book is important, people. Same book all the way. I mean, this goes all the way from Exodus to Revelations, this theme. Revelations 20, it says, uh, 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, and as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's very important to have your name written in the book of life. It's a very important thing to know and to live by. Is my name written in the book of life? We're going to get to that more in a second. But in chapter 12 of Daniel, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Again, this is Archangel Michael. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at the time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Everyone listening to this ought to understand. This is a, one of those basic 
foundational questions for every Christian. Is your name written in this book? And are you sure? I don't say that to ask you to doubt your salvation. But is your name written in this book? Because you can't sit around and wait on something like this because we don't know the numbers of our days. You don't want to be standing there when in Revelations 20, you're before God and Jesus breaks the seal and God will look through the book to find your name and if all of a sudden it's not there, what a tragedy. I could imagine somebody going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 come, come, check again. I think you might have missed it. So how do you know if your name's written in the book? Well, let's think about some of these verses. Psalm 69, David called the book, the book of the living, where the righteous are living. So if you're righteous, your name is in the book. How do you know if you're righteous? Well, Malachi says those who fear the Lord are in the book. Those who esteem the Lord are in the book. Those who serve the Lord are in the book. So how do we know if we fear fear and serve the Lord or esteem the Lord? And I really think The religious question is, how do I know if I esteem the Lord enough? That's what a lot of us ask. How do I know if I've done enough? Have you ever felt that way? Lord, I love you, but is it enough to get into heaven? Have you ever doubted yourself? Lord, have I served enough? Lord, I love to give, but have I given enough? And I think religion has done us a disfavor by leaving us this feeling of I haven't done enough. And that's religion. That is not a relationship with God. 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. Well, are you righteous if you walk in darkness? No, that's one, re- one way to know that you're a righteous person. We lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we walk like Jesus walks, we know our name is in the book. But, you know, I, I want to be righteous. I want to feel, you know, to, to fear the Lord. I want to honor God. I want to walk like Jesus walked. But sometimes it's either the devil or it's my own heart where someone or something condemns me. We know the devil does this. <laughs> I mean, look at yourself in the mirror. Would a righteous person do what you just did? A saved person wouldn't have those type of thoughts. A saved person wouldn't do that. You're going to hell. There's nothing you can do to find God's love. That's what Satan says to us. And then sometimes our own spirit does it to us, and we don't need the devil's help, but we have this thing inside of us, this part of our sin nature that says, I'm trying to be a good Christian, but I'm not sure if I'm there yet. 
need to get to where we can lay our head on the pillow at night and say, I know I'm really going to heaven. One thing I want to, to make sure we understand, let's get our answers from the scriptures, not our feelings. I can't tell you how many times my feelings have led me the wrong direction. But the Spirit leads us the right direction. 1 John 3.19 and I don't have this scripture, but uh, I have a different translation, so you don't, I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to listen to the words from Jesus' best friend on earth, John. John called himself Jesus' best friend, so that's how we know he's Jesus' best friend, you know? This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, and this is important. To have our hearts set at rest. This is, this is what we do when our hearts condemn us. Because God is actually greater than our heart, John says. And he knows everything. He said, dear friend, if our hearts stop condemning us, then we have confidence before God to receive for, from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what, he pleases, uh, do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them, and this is how we know he lives in us. We know it. By the Spirit, he gave us. So if a person, you know, obeys God's command, then their name is written in the book of life. If a person believes in the name of Jesus Christ, then their name is written there. If a person loves others as God has commanded us to, then their name is written there. How do you know if your name is written there? Well, two things. One, the Bible says it is, and according to John, the Spirit confirms it. Now, as we're studying this, I want you to know, this is all I can do for you. I can't send the Spirit to you to confirm it. That is what God does. That's the Father's job. That's the Son's job. That's the, the Holy Spirit. But if he sends the Holy Spirit, even if I'm teaching right now or soon to confirm that you were saved, do you promise me that you'll stop battling what's inside of you by doubting your salvation? That's a battle that you have to win or you're an ineffective Christian. Write in your Bible, whatever date that you were saved, or write in today's date, I am saved. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. It doesn't take a song at the end of the sermon singing just as I am 47 times until somebody comes up front. 
or guilt-tripping people into walking, you know, up the aisle. That's the Holy Spirit's job because then you have a choice once the Spirit prompts you to believe it or not. There's, you know, there's nothing magical other than that. The magic is the Holy Spirit beckoning you to the Lord and you saying, yes, I believe. That's where the magic comes in. Then there's no other doubt that comes from you, uh, you know, uh, that should come out of you. The only doubt would come from the evil one himself. But if you love the Lord, if you serve the Lord, if you, you know, love others with Christ's love, then you know you're saved. Now, how many of you would admit and say, man, I've, I sometimes have doubts whether I'm saved or not. I've gone through that in my life. Yeah, I mean, many of us would raise our hands. You don't have to raise your hands. But, uh, I mean, I dare say almost every one of us at one point or another would, would raise our hand for that question. Don't let the devil win this battle. Because as long as you have doubt, you're, you're not effective. Many of us are like, well, I'm not ready yet, or I'm not qualified yet. But if we can break through and say, I am saved, and I'm not going to hell, imagine what freedom you would have in this life. Imagine what freedom that breaks up where, where you can say and do, and you can put yourself out there knowing that no matter what happens, I'm in heaven. Now, I don't mean go out cliff jumping or something like that. I'll talk about putting yourself out there for the Lord. Now, there's one more way the Lord confirms it. Do you know what that one is? It's when our behavior starts to change. Because guess what? We all know what knuckleheads we really are, don't we? Yeah. I'm a knucklehead. I mean, you guys probably already knew that, but, you know. But then the behavior changes. And that guilt comes in when we try to sin. And we start to realize, I've been changed by God. The things I used to enjoy in this world, I don't enjoy anymore because I realize they're not of God. I mean, think about this, guys. If, if I wasn't really saved, you think I'm a funky person now? <laughs> well, you know, weird or self-centered or whatever you think of me? This is the saved version of me. Imagine the unsaved version of me. Okay, don't imagine that. <laughs> because when we are saved, we start moving away from ourselves and becoming more like Christ. John goes on in, in John 4.13 and says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us a spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. So if a person acknowledges that Jesus is God, their name is written in the book and you can rely on that. You can rely on what, what, what John uh, says in John 5, 24, or what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes, uh, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned and has crossed over from death to life. Huh. And it is past tense. 
crossed over from death to life. You don't have to wait for death to gain life. You already have it. This is a, a prelude to our eternal life. Paul goes on in, in, in chapter uh, 10, verse 9, and goes, um, uh, oh, I forget what, we're, we're, Romans 10, thank you. Uh, Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. This is why it's so important how we talk in this world. We are God's witness on whether God, Christ has changed us or not. So let me ask you, did, you know, do you confess Christ out loud? And I don't mean I'll oh, come down the aisle one time and, and confess Christ in front of someone and you're saved. I'm talking about are you confessing Christ in your friendships out loud, at your work out loud. And, and you know, I'm not saying go and be obnoxious and get in trouble at work, okay? But I'm just talking about your everyday demeanor and how you talk to other people. Are you representing Christ in your school, at your church? Do you confess, do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? and that you will be saved. That's what the scriptures say. John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I think this is about the 12th reason in these scriptures to show us why we are saved. If we confess our sins to God, my question is, how long has it been since we've confessed our sins to God? You need to do that. John 6, 7, uh, 6, 47 says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. In some ways, this sounds so easy. It sounds so easy. But it's really hard to believe in Jesus sometimes with this world. It's the most difficult thing you will do because everything in this world pulls you away from God. Everything does. Anything that's not of God pulls you away from God. To believe is not always so simple. To believe is to let it permeate throughout our whole life. To let decisions be based on our belief in him. Jesus says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we usually stop right there, but I love the, the scripture beyond that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed." But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has, not, has been done through God. 
Everyone who believes, and not just believes, but believes in him, will have what? Eternal life. Hmm. Eternal life. So if a person believes in Jesus, then their name is written where? The book of life. And Paul says in Romans 3.23 that if a person has faith in Jesus there, and he says it in Ephesians 1.13 also, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, a great, who, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And I didn't even go there, but in Revelation 3, I think it is, it talks about how we get a whole new name written in that book of life. And the name is not Alan. It's some special name, nickname that, that he has given to me. He's been calling all my life, and I won't realize it until I get to heaven. But it will be so natural to be called by that name. Jesus also says in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So don't leave this place today wondering if your name is in the book. Because if you confess Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, if you've turned your life over to Him, then folks, your name is written in the book. And the behavior problems you have is called sin, and that's a different issue. It doesn't mean your name is not written in the book. It means you have a sin problem that needs to be confessed. That, that issue means we have to grow in Christ to empower us to defeat the sin that comes into our life. Then we would lead other people to Christ. But if you've done these things, the scriptures say you are saved. So don't ever, ever, ever let that creep into your life again. Don't doubt it. Okay, do we have time to finish Daniel 2 if we hurry? Maybe. Or Daniel whatever, verse 2. Daniel 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to the everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the most clear passage in the Old Testament that, that both the wicked and the righteous will be resurrected and they will get their reward of judgment. Verse 3, those who are wise will shine like brightness in the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you want to shine in heaven, lead people to Christ. Man, that is an awesome verse. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and, th and there to increase knowledge. And this has got to be frustrating to Daniel. He's around 80, 85 years old, and he doesn't get all the answers. You know, this could be talking about our time, but the knowledge talked about here is specific about the end time. No matter how much we study 
There's a limit to our understanding. Until Christ comes and breaks the scroll, then we'll find out exactly all the details at the end of Revelation. And that Jesus, he's a great teacher and a great role model. He will show us the truth and everything should make sense at that point, Lord willing. But until then, you have to know where you stand with Christ. Verse 5, it goes on and says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, on the bank of the river and the one of the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters in the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who I, I think is Christ, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people, and I think he's talking about those who are names who are written in the book, have been finally broken, all those things will be completed. I heard, but I do not understand, so I ask my Lord, what will be the outcome of all of this? Verse 9, he replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. For the time that, daily, for the, time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits far, uh, for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. Uh, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. Now, many have taken these things and tried to figure out the exact date of when Christ is going to return, but we know from Scripture's what? None of us will know the exact day. If anybody says this is the day that Christ returns, they are considered a false prophet. They're not of God. Because the scriptures say we won't know. He will come like a thief in the night. He will come when, when the world is not expecting it, when the world is not prepared. But those who live in him, those who are part of Christ, those who are, whose names are in the book of life, should be and will be expecting him. And that's how we should be living our lives. You want your family, you want your friends, you want your neighbor's names written in that book. If that's what you want, then invite them to church. If that's what you want, then witness to them by the way you live. If that's what you want, then maybe witness to them verbally about what you believe. Follow the Holy Spirit on that. Because the only way for that to happen is through the Spirit. The Spirit draws people to the Lord, and then they have a choice on whether to accept that or not, to accept that gift or reject it. It's like at Christmas. You can give a gift all you want, right? A person can even accept the gift and just put it aside and never open it and never understand what it is. Or a person can reject the gift. But you've done your part, and then you allow the Holy Spirit to do His but never, ever, ever doubt 
that your name is written in the book of life. Because if you do, then you're, not, you're on a path of being an ineffective Christian. And we have enough of those in this world, right? We want to be effective in this world. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we come before you as people who confess your name, as people whose names are written in your book, who love you dearly. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit just overwhelms us so much that we never doubt you again. We never doubt whether our name is in that book. We never doubt if we're a follower of Christ because the end result is that we're in heaven with you, that no matter what happens to us on this earth, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, no matter what happens on this earth, we will be with you in heaven. And that is the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. It's something that we can't even really imagine. I pray, Lord, for those that may be doubt, that you help them believe. I pray for those who, who are not in the book of life, that your spirit would call out and draw them to you. I pray, Lord, that you would use us to be the catalyst for that. Help us save the lost, Lord. Or allow us help, helping you save the lost. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.